The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. We're, uh, we're nearing the end of our uh, series on 1 Peter, where uh, this week we are in uh, verses uh, 1 through 5 of chapter 5. If you have your Bible, you can free to, feel free to go ahead and turn there or open up your app. If you don't have a Bible, there's some underneath the chair. Um, if not, then you can just listen along. Um, we'll read it and just, um, well, let's go ahead and read it again, because it's been a minute since uh, Miss Carolyn Auntie uh, read it for us. Uh, Peter says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So what Peter is talking about uh, in this passage, verse 1 through 5 of chapter 5, is he's talking about how leaders in the church should view their roles and, and how people in the church should view leaders and how sh- they should actually view each other. And, and what he's doing in describing this is he's describing yet another way that living in God's kingdom is upside down from the rest of the world. He's he's talking about, in particular this way, how leadership in the kingdom of God is viewed totally different than we view leadership uh, in in the everyday world. And and in order to really understand where he's coming from and where he's going, we really have to understand two things. We have to understand uh, the way that Jesus viewed himself, and we have to view the way that Peter viewed himself. We have to understand how did Jesus view himself and how did Peter view himself? Okay, so, so let's, let's, let's set this, this, this stage here for us. Now, now, Jesus, how did he think about himself? Now, Jesus comes on earth. He's born of a virgin. Most of us know the story, but not everyone. Jesus was born of a virgin. He was 100% God and 100% man. He's what we call God incarnate. That means he is all, all God, and yet he is also a man at the same time. It is, I don't know how to understand it. I don't know how to explain it to you. It just is. We, as believers, we accept it by faith because it's so beyond comprehension to really understand how it works and, and how it happened. And yet, let's see, how did Jesus view himself to see, like, he was born as a man, but yet he's 100% God? How did Jesus view himself? Because remember, this is Jesus who is never not existed, right? He has always existed. He has always been. Not only has he always been, but he is equal with the Father. He is one, he is uh, the, what we call the second person, the Godhead. The Godhead is the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they have always existed. In fact, Jesus is described as the Lord of creation. It says that he was the creator. It says that when God spoke the world into existence, it was the Word, it was Jesus Christ who was there with him that brought it all into existence. He is the Lord of all. He is God of all. He is God of all creation. He is one with the Father, God of creation. He existed before time. And yet all of that, how did Jesus view himself whenever he came to earth 
as, as 100% God, 100% man. You know how he viewed himself? He called himself a shepherd. Now, that's very interesting because in this society, even in, I guess, today as well, but in this society, to be a shepherd was an incredibly lowly job. Like, nobody was born and said, I want to be a shepherd. Isn't it a cool job to be a shepherd? In fact, it, it was considered such a lowly job to be out in, the, out in the fields, watching the flocks, caring for the sheep, always around sheep, always smelly, always, uh, uh, always on the edge of society, only all, literally on the edge of town, they were such, considered such outcasts, so low that their, their, uh, their testimony wasn't even allowed in court. They were considered like other. They were considered outside. And yet Jesus shows up and he says, I am a shepherd. He, he, said, he said in Matthew 9, 35 through 36, if you want to turn there, you can, but I'm just going to hit there real quick. Matthew 9, 35 and 36 He said, it says that Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. And when he saw the crowds, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw himself as a shepherd because he saw the people us as harassed. He saw us as outcasts. He saw us as sheep who needed a shepherd. In the Old Testament, one of the things that God, uh, through the prophet Jeremiah and the prophet Ezekiel, one of the things that, that, he, that he prophesied against or fussed about with the, the leaders of Israel is he said, you are not being shepherds for my people. You've left them without shepherds. You've looked out for your own gain and your own power, your own strength. And isn't that what leaders tend to do? Like no matter how much we like, can we start off in this world as like, as, you know, with altruistic good motives, man, they say ultimate power corrupts ultimately and power corrupts. It doesn't really corrupt, it just exposes as we become leaders, as we move up and like, it's just so easy to make it about us. And haven't you seen that in like your bosses or your political leaders or, you know, name it, whoever, like, like when they, we get power, we tend to use it for ourselves. And Jesus came and he saw that le the leaders of his people, the leaders of this earth, were not caring for us as the people, and we left us harassed like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus viewed himself as the good shepherd or the chief shepherd. In fact, he called himself the good shepherd. In John chapter 10, verse 11 through 14, he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. Jesus 
saw us. He saw humanity. He saw humans as sheep, as people who were harassed and who needed a shepherd. And now, that's both good news and bad news. It's bad news in that it's not a really a great thing to be called a sheep or to be called a lamb. They're kind of smelly. They're a little bit ornery. They're not very, so we say, smart. Uh, they, they need a shepherd to guide them. And you and I, by nature, we don't like to think of ourselves as being dumb sheep, dumb people who need a shepherd. But let me ask you, how, what, was, what has been, maybe if you're a believer or not a believer, what has been the track record of your life apart from Christ? I can tell you what mine is. It's continually banging into a wall over and over again to my own injury and to my own loss. As smart as sometimes I think I, I am, as capable as sometimes I think I am, I am continually making a mess of my life, of my relationship with my wife, of my family, with my friends, with my job. I am continually making terrible decisions all the time. That's my track record. And if you look at the history of humanity, we don't have a sterling reputation of determining our own future, do we? Either individually or collectively. We keep messing it up. And that would be incredibly bad news if it didn't include the following good news that Jesus, the Lord of all creation, came down to us, took on the flesh like we have. He became like a sheep, but yet he said, I'm coming to be your shepherd. And I'm the good shepherd that lays his life down for the sake of his sheep. That's really, really good news. And I don't know where you are in your life today, but your future, both in this life and in the life to come, is 100% determined by whether you accept the fact that you are a sheep and Jesus is the shepherd. That you, on left on your own, will continually mess things up, and as you continue to bite the hand of the shepherd, it never is going to come out to your benefit. But if you fall in line with the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, and follow him, then you suddenly find true life. Jesus called himself the good shepherd, and he said the good shepherd or the chief shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. He, and then what Peter is saying in this passage is this is the measure of true leadership. A leader is not looking out for their own. They're not looking for their fame and for their glory and for their name. A true leader lays down their life, not for themselves, but for the lowly sheep below them, the sheep who get ornery and sometimes bite you in the hand, the sheep who are dirty and smelly. The, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, lays his life down for the sheep, and that's the measure of true leadership. A true leader lays his life down for the dirty, smelly sheep, for their sake. Then did you hear what Jesus also said in the description of who he was as the good shepherd? He said, the good shepherd knows his sheep and says the sheep know the good shepherd. Isn't that amazing? That he doesn't just know us collectively as a group of people or a flock, but the good shepherd knows each of us individually. He knows my individual weaknesses. He knows my individual tendencies. He knows my individual sins and my individual strengths. And he knows the same about you. 
He knows you. He knows us. And yet the promise also comes that to those that are his, they will hear his voice and they will know it's his voice. I urge you this morning, I don't know where you are in your walk with God. If you're a Christian or not, if you've been around church for a long time, I urge you this morning, I ask you, do you hear the voice of the shepherd calling out to you? And do you recognize that as the good shepherd who has laid down his life for you? Or to you, is it still the, like, does it still grate you? This morning, would you accept that he is the shepherd and you're the sheep and bow your knee to him as your Lord and Savior? Because the other thing it tells us about the good shepherd, it says that the chief shepherd and the good shepherd, he seeks out the lost sheep. He says there are sheep who are not of this fold. And he, what does it say? He goes to them. In the parable of the, of the sheep, he says that the, the good shepherd has 100 sheep and he has 99 of them safe in the fold, safe in the pen. He's got 99 of them. And I'll tell you, if I was hanging out with sheep and I got 99 of them back in the pen, I'd be like, that's a pretty good average. We're just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna build a fire and I'm gonna make some food and I'm just gonna call that a win. I mean, that kind of tends to be, like I was telling somebody yesterday when I was at a pool party, and I'm like, I kind of consider it as a dad a success if, no, if all the kids are still alive and nobody's bleeding. I have a low bar of success. But Jesus says as he's in there, he's got the 99 safe in the pen. He says, no, there's one missing. And he leaves and goes after the one. And he scours the landscape and goes after them until he finds the one and brings the one back. That's how much the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, loves each and every one of us. Because none of us are the 99, we're all the one. We all needed him to come after us, to seek us, to bring us back. You know what he also does? The shepherd sometimes with a lamb that keeps straying away from the flock, he will break their legs and wrap them around his shoulder and keep them there while the legs are healing till they get so used to hearing his voice that whenever they're healed again, they will not leave the shepherd again. And sometimes he does that for us, doesn't he? The good shepherd, the chief shepherd, he lays down his life he knows his sheep, and he seeks the lost sheep. That's how Jesus views and viewed himself. But then he had this relationship with Peter. As Peter, who was the apostle, was writing this letter, he was a follower of Jesus. He's one of his 12 uh, closest disciples. And Peter didn't start off seeing Jesus or himself in terms of a shepherd. When, G when Peter saw Jesus come along, he saw Jesus as a revolutionary leader. And he decided he saw Jesus as the pathway to glory, the pathway to power, and the pathway to fame. And he said, Jesus, I'm going to follow you no matter what. He got angry at one time when Jesus said, I'm going to have to die. Peter fussed at Jesus. He condemned Jesus for saying that. It caused Jesus to call him Satan and tell him to get behind him. And then when the, and, and even in the moment of, of the Garden of Gethsemane, like Jesus has been saying, look, this is the path I have to go. I have to suffer and I have to die. And yet Peter decides this is the time to start a revolution. And he pulls out his sword and he tries to to kill a man, and he missed him, and he cut off his ear. Jesus had to rebuke him again while he's being arrested and heal the man's ear. It, he had pledged loyalty to Jesus 
And he was looking for a revolution and he was looking for a kingdom. And Jesus' path didn't lead where he wanted it to go. And so when Jesus, that was, that's why we see when Jesus is at his lowest, whenever he has been betrayed and he is he's under trial, at that moment when Jesus is at his very lowest, when the chips are down, when he's wrongly accused, when he's deepest in trouble, all of a sudden Peter, who's been bold and strong and uh, verbatious, like he's been said, I'm, I will always be there. I will always be loyal to you. Everybody else may turn away, but I never will. But yet when he sees Jesus go in the path of suffering and death, Peter denies him not once, not twice, but three times. He denied that he even knew who Jesus was. He rejected him publicly three times when he saw that Jesus wasn't going to be his path to fame and glory. And yet, we see this beautiful account after Jesus is resurrected, whenever he he, he comes, and I, it's one of my favorite stories about Jesus because uh, I love food, and Jesus comes and he makes breakfast for the disciples as they're out fishing. And they've been out fishing, and Jesus appears to them in John 21, if you, if you want to know where it is, John 21, verse 15 through 19. And it says that when it, he had finished breakfast, all, everyone had finished breakfast that Jesus made for them, which I got to say, if a resurrected Jesus makes your breakfast, it's got to be good, Right? I mean, that's going to be the best fish that you've ever, I don't even like fish, but I'm going to eat that fish if resurrected Jesus is making that fish. And then, after they finish breakfast, he looks at Peter and he says, Simon, that's his other name, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He means these other disciples that are here because that had been Peter's boast the whole time he followed Jesus. I love you more than everybody else. I'm more loyal to you than everybody else. Everybody else may turn away, but I will always be here. And then he denied him three times. And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said back to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. A third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? You know what's happened now? Peter's realized he's asked me three times because how many times did he deny him? Three times. He said, do you love me? And Peter said, this time, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And then listen to what he said to him after that. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So here's the thing. Those that have been forgiven much love much. And all of a sudden, Peter realizes how much he's been forgiven and yet how much he is loved by Jesus. Even though he denied him, even though he should have been disqualified from ministry, Jesus here publicly in front of the other disciples asks him this, and what, you know what he's doing? He's restoring him to ministry, but he's restoring him with the right mindset because those who love 
who have been forgiven much, love much. And Peter had been forgiven by Jesus for much. And now all of a sudden, he wasn't following Jesus for fame or for glory. He was no longer sure of himself. He knew all of a sudden, I'm a dirty lamb. And Jesus is the good shepherd. And I've been greatly forgiven and loved by him. And then Jesus said, if you love me, here's what I want you to do. You're a dirty sheep. Go and tend and care for the other sheep. See, those that love Jesus serve his sheep. That's what happens to Peter. All of a sudden, it's not about his fame and his story and his glory. All of a sudden, he sees that to follow Jesus, Jesus literally says, if you're going to follow me, one day someone's going to come and they're going to kill you. And when he says outstretched arms, he's saying the, the, the type of death he was going to die. Legend tells us Peter died on a cross, and yet he even said then, would you hang me upside down so I don't die like my Lord? Peter knew from this moment forward that to follow Jesus literally meant death for him. And it meant no longer for his own fame or his own glory, but it meant the unglorious work of serving and tending and feeding and caring for and calling home those sheep that belong to the great or the chief shepherd who set the standard by giving his life for his sheep. That's how Jesus cared for his sheep. That's the pattern that Peter was called to follow. How did Jesus care for his sheep? By serving them unto death. And so now look at this passage when he says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, when he appears, then you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now as I read this passage, you might be sitting here and say, well, I'm not an elder, so I'm good. So there are three of us particularly in this room that are like under the spotlight under this passage. There's, we have three elders, Jonathan, Dale, and myself. And this is an incredibly heavy passage to us. It's a charge to us. It's a charge to us that to follow Christ, the call is to come and die. And to serve you and to love you by laying our lives down for Christ's sake and for your flourishing and your walk with him. But it doesn't end there, does it? It's a principle that extends through the whole body. He tells us at the end of this passage in verse 5, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. So this is, a, this is a charge to us who are elders. It's a charge to everyone in this room who wants to be or is called to be an elder. But it's also a, a charge to every person who is gifted or has an ability to lead in any capacity if you're a follower of Jesus Christ because the call is the same. The call to all disciples is, to call, is a call to come and die. It's a call to in glory. 
non-glorious service and then death for the glory of God. And I gotta tell you, there is no greater life to lead as a disciple than one that says, I'm putting all the chips on the table. I'm pushing them all to the middle. I am all in. I'm following you. I'm understanding that though it feels to me like life is found somewhere else, that life is found in reputation or fame or fortune or notoriety or, or, or looks or whatever the case may be, that no matter what I think it might, life might be found in, I know that life is only found in following you, and I'm willing to for forsake everything for the sake of following you, because I know that to, to find you is to find life. Where are you in that walk? Where are all of us in that walk? How, this, how, much, how many lies have we in this room believed that life and uh, realization of, of ourselves is found somewhere other than not just following Christ, but forsaking myself to follow him and giving all that I have to follow him and to serve him in real, tangible ways by loving and caring for and tending the flock of Jesus Christ. You know what's involved in that? Well, look at this, this charge that he gives to him. Peter says to those that are under shepherds, he says, you should do so willingly, not under compulsion. So that means that our love for Christ, those who've been forgiven much, love, love much, our love for Christ, if you have been forgiven much, should compel you to, not, to serve him and to serve his people and to seek out those lost members of the, of the flock of Christ, not under compulsion, but willingly from your heart. It says that we should do so eagerly, not for shameful gain, not looking for uh, what do we get out of it? How often, and I've been guilty of this, how often do we in church say, hey, would you serve? Would you do this? Would you share your faith? Would you do this? Because, because if you do, look at all that you get in return. You get a lot in return in following Christ. But that's not the, that is a poor reason for following him. You know what you get by following Christ? You get Christ. And he is worth everything. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And then it says, being not domineering, not lording it over them, but being examples to the flock. You know what three things he's called us to do as disciples? All of us. Because every person in this room, no matter who you are or where you are in life, you're a leader to some capacity. You might just be leading yourself. You might be leading your children. You might be leading a small team at work. You might be leading a small ministry in church. You might be leading a community group. Or you might, whatever capacity, in some way, you are a leader. And here's the call for you. As a leader, as a person in the family of God, a part of the flock of God, we're called to seek and we're called to feed and we're called to tend. Seek the lost sheep that are, the call God's children who are outside the flock, call them home. 
Go after them. Be the hands and feet of Jesus to go to those who are far from him and bring them home to the Father. You know what that means? That means for many of us, it means stepping outside of our comfort zone. It means not caring what our neighbor or our friend thinks about us when we share the gospel with them, but saying, I care more about the fame and name of Christ who I am following, and I care, would, I care for the sheep who is far from home to call them home and to go after them, whatever I need to do to go after them and bring them home. He says, feed my sheep and tend or care for them. That means finding your role as a part of the body of Christ, as a part of the flock of God, to care for and feed each other. What giftings and abilities has God given you? What resources has he put at your disposal? It may be time. It might be mental energy. It might be a particular talents or gifts that you have. It might be physical resources. What resources has God given you? And how are you exercising and leveraging those? to seek, tend, and to feed his sheep. And lastly, to be a part of the flock of Jesus means that you're a sheep yourself. And that's not a compliment to our egos. Because we want to think that we're so unique and so wise that's what our culture and society tells us. You are amazing, and you need to find out how amazing you are and unlock this amazingness. And you guys are really cool. I know some of you guys. But you're, we're not all that. We're not so wise, and we're not so unique. The truth is that we are all sheep in need of a shepherd. Jesus was talking about us whenever he looked out and he saw the crowds were harassed. And here's the truth. There is incredible joy found in being one of Christ's sheep. Think of what joy is found in being one of Christ's sheep. He came after every single one of us. We were all the lost sheep. He leaves the safe for the lost do you see how he gives his life for his sheep? Those of us who are running away and biting his hand, yet he gives his life willingly for us. These things that he says, not he says willingly, eagerly, and being example, he did that all the way to the cross and through to resurrection. Think of how gently he cares for his sheep. Think of how lovingly he cares for us. Think of how, look in this passage of how he even ensures that the under-shepherds who are under him, who are what the elders are, we're not shepherds, we are under-shepherds among the flock of God. See how he ensures that the under-shepherds over the flock even care for the sheep the way that he cares for the sheep. to accept that we're a sheep, to accept that, that we're a member of the flock of God, that we need a shepherd is the dirty path, but is the only path to glory. You will receive the unfading crown of glory.
the way that Jesus' kingdom is upside down to this world, and the way that we enter it is upside down, and Peter did that literally. And that's the call to all of us. So we'll close with this question, these questions. Are you a part of the flock of Jesus? Have you been rescued by the chief shepherd? Have you seen that he has given his life for you? Are you following him, accepting a loss of all things for the sake of following him alone? Have you been forgiven much? Have you been forgiven much? Have you been forgiven much? If you have, then respond like Peter and seek and feed and tend his sheep. And how do we do that? We do that by caring for each other in very tangible ways. You know the story of Miranda? Like the, the, the community, the ladies around her, they cared for her. They, they cared for her as other sheep caring for another sheep can. They loved her. They prayed for her. They physically cared for her. Do we physically sacrifice to care for each other? What giftings and abilities has God given you, and are you leveraging those to care for his sheep? Are you going outside to seek and save the lost sheep in the name and in the power of Christ? We care for each other and we seek the lost sheep of the flock. And both of those things we do with and through the power of Jesus. It's not alone. We go out as sheep, we go out as under shepherds, and yet we are empowered and cared for and overseen by the chief shepherd and the good shepherd. That is amazing, isn't it? I'm gonna pray for us now, and we're gonna open uh, the communion table to everyone here. And this is very real this morning because the communion table References back to the Passover table, which was when a lamb was slain to protect the inhabitants of that home. And the blood was put over the doorposts, symbolizing this house is safe by sacrifice. And Jesus was not only the good shepherd, but he was the lamb who was slain. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is the shepherd and the lamb was slain for you and for me. And so this morning, I invite you to come to the table. I invite you to come with uh, a soberness and with a joy to say, I'm gonna feast this morning on the, the cracker and the juice that represents the broken body and the shed blood of the lamb, the good shepherd on my behalf to call me home. And in doing so, I'm going to either for the first time or for the 100th time say, God, all the chips are on the table and they're all in the middle. I'm gonna follow you and I'm gonna turn around and I'm gonna care for and tend and feed and call and seek your sheep for your glory and know that one day I will receive a crown of glory when you return. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. 
At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.